I'm Liz, and welcome to Castle Fun, the official podcast of the Star Wars Speculation subreddit. And these are my co-hosts. Vinny5, standing by. Hi, I'm Lai. Hi, I'm Todd. And for our first segment today, we have some good news. The Star Wars Resistance show a trailer released this morning, and we got a glimpse at what the art style looks like and what date it's going to come out on. So it's coming out on October 7th. It's a Sunday, and it's going to be released at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Well, I was looking at it, and Filoni had said beforehand that he was heavily inspired by anime. And boy, does that come through pretty strong when you're looking at it. It's, it's 3D cel-shaded, you know, look, looking essentially like uh, Ruby from Rooster Teeth, if you're familiar with that. And, um, yeah, boy, I'm torn because I really love the art style of the Clone Wars and uh, I really love the art style of Rebels. I think it got progressively better and better and it referenced uh, Ralph McQuarrie's fantastic original Star Wars concept art as much as possible. And now we're getting this radically different thing and radically different isn't always a bad thing. It can be great. But you know, my first impression, my knee-jerk reaction, which obviously is the reaction I should use and is the most logical, obviously, is that it's, uh, it's looking to appeal to a younger audience, just visually alone. I'm not really sure it does the show too many favors. Someone asked me what I thought of the ship designs, and I said, well, I can't really tell much from the ship designs because between the cell shading, which kind of muddles the lines, and the bloom, which has turned way up, I, I'm not seeing as much of it as I'd like to. I, I wish they wanted to show off those models, and I, the art style just seems to muddle it all for me. I thought the protagonist looks like Takashi from Voltron, the one that, I think, the Netflix series, right? And um, even though it does look catered towards younger audiences, I thought the premiere time was interesting because it's 10 p.m. And isn't that a little late for kids? (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I thought that was interesting and that they're premiering it on Disney Channel versus XD for the first episode. Vinny, do you know, you know, as far as TV show business, why that would be, or? I, I genuinely don't. I found that curious as well, because the, the biggest defense you're hearing for this show is, well, it's a kid's show, it's aimed at kids, and yet they're premiering it on, at, right before a school night after the watershed. I know the watershed isn't really a thing anymore, but it's still, for those who are not familiar with the watershed, it's the time at night after which you're allowed to swear and show breasts and nudity and whatever on television. Mm-hmm. And this is very much after the watershed on a school night. So I don't really understand the logic there. Okay. Maybe it's because they're trying to slowly sneak it in, uh, is my thought. Because Mm -hmm. when the kids wake up in the morning, maybe they will have a rerun of it, like, early in the morning. um, So the kids could watch. Um, And I definitely think they would be showing it probably, like, after school times. Mm. Yeah, I... If I'm not mistaken, they do release some stuff on Disney Channel before they move it to XD because isn't it switching to XD after that? Oh, is it? Okay. I thought so. so. It would make the most sense. Conglomerate? I think because Disney Channel has more viewers than Disney Mm -hmm. XD. So it would, it just makes sense for it to stream on there first and then move it to XD because uh, most of the kids that watch cartoons that are mostly 
like I don't want to say like aimed at boys but you know that kind of thing like they show like Spider-Man Avengers like all that stuff on XD so it would make sense to move it over there yeah and something they've been doing recently is having shows premiere on Disney Channel and Disney XD and it would get um, more people interested or reach a broader audience they know about it so now that's happened with a lot of their shows like you said a lot of the animation like Rebels and all the Marvel shows do go on to Disney XD while still having like a episode or two on Disney Channel it's like get people interested or just reach out to another audience yeah so uh, the art style was exactly what I expected it to be based off of the description and the image that we got from the beginning so that didn't put me off especially because I was prepared for it so I was focusing more on the story and well, what little we got of it and it isn't too interesting for me so far of what we've seen, but it has potential to be. Like, I rewatched the Rebels trailer, and that was all from the first episode, so if this is all from the pilot, I can forgive it and give it a chance to see where it goes. As far as it isn't jumping out to me, but I am interested to see where it could go. Well, the comparisons to anime are going to be hard to avoid, at least for me. One of the most common things you see in shonen anime, which are anime aimed at younger boys, uh, Dragon Ball, you know, stuff like that, is there's a tournament. There's some sort of tournament, you know, it's card battle tournament or racing tournament or fighting tournament. And that's how they kind of fill time between the actual progressing of the plot. And it seems that's what's happened here. You know, it's supposed to be about an espionage, this kid sent behind the lines in the outer rim or unknown regions to spy for the first order. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, you have my attention. Oh wait, no, we're diverting all of our resources to this race and this tournament. And I'm not nearly as interested in that yeah. at all. I'm really hoping that that isn't like the focus of the show because mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. see it being it, but I can also see it being like the start or the first episode, just as the pilot. That's definitely something that crossed and worried my mind about this. Uh, we're, I'm noticing a theme now. We had Phasma, who had her custom silver chromed out with spinners armor, and we had uh, Cardinal who is from the Phasma book, and he's essentially Phasma, but red. Mm. And I noticed for a flash second in the trailer, we had a gold Phasma, and it didn't look like it was an effect of the lighting. It looked like a whole different character. Um, I don't know who that person, I don't know who that person is supposed to be, um, but I I paused it, and it definitely looks like a gold uh, Phasma, essentially. So maybe we get a a new officer character. I saw that screenshot, and I think we have Cardinal and Phasma who have their own special armors. So I think that it's going to be a thing with the First Order Stormtrooper captains to have their own armor. Like, they have Cardinal's red and Phasma's chrome, and now this gold guy. And didn't we get um, a confirmation that Leia's going to be in this show? Didn't we? Um, I forgot. It was that one tweet that said that um, Leia will be in the show, and... This other voice actor, of course, will be doing her voice. So, yeah, I think that's going to be pretty cool to have Leia there. I think we talked about how Phasma is mm. going to be there. And yeah, did they confirm Hux in the original? I think they, I'm not sure if they confirmed Hux, but I want to say yes. Don't quote me on that, though. Okay. The The only other thing I, I want to ask you guys is what do, what do we think the over under is on Poe staying in the series? Because I, I it's Oscar Isaac and he's he costs you know money, 
So I, I don't see him being in the show past the first episode, maybe the second. Like, there's no way he's a regular, right? Yeah, I don't know if I can see him being on the whole show. My gut instinct right now is to say he's going to be in the pilots, like, ease it in. Maybe show up at, like, the season finale or something big or whatever. But definitely not a regular. I wonder who's going to be the resistance leader then, if not Leia or Poe. For this guy, at least. I was just saying, I'm not sure there's going to be one at all. It seems to be very disconnected from the Resistance First Order storyline. Okay. Looks like he's just on his own thing, on his own mission, being undercover, doing mm. whatever. Wasn't he, someone was teaching him, like, bomb disarmament techniques for, like, a flicker of a second, and they were saying, mm. like, oh, I'm not going to be, you know, beyond this, I'm not going to be a part of your spy mission or something. Oh, yeah, no, in the trailer, there's that alien, and he's got the brown spiked face. Like, I forget what race he is, but for half a second, he goes like, yeah, I'm not interested in the spy part of your mm -hmm. life. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, that you were watching the Rebels trailer and comparing it to this one and how it was equally lighthearted. Um, but did it have any clear distraction in it? Like, yes, we're talking about the war, but we're also talking about him, I don't know, playing sports or farming. Like, did it have a big diversion like this one did as well. No, I definitely say that this is a lot more. Well, I want the Rebels trailer is still looks better to me than this for the reasons that you've said. The Rebels still turned out a lot better than the trailer suggested, so I have some hopes here. So as we speak, my brother just texted me his reaction to this, and he is such a huge Star Wars fan. He grew up with the original trilogy. He loves Rebels and he loves Clone Wars and he he loves PT. He is kind of iffy on uh, ST stuff, but his reaction is, I don't know about that new Star Wars Resistance cartoon, sad face. And I'm going to be asking him why. I'm really curious if it seems too cartoony to him. Like, he doesn't really watch any anime. Um, the only cartoons he really watched were Rebels and uh, Clone Wars. And he really enjoyed those. So it's it's very interesting to see someone kind of outside of, you know, looking at all the this canon stuff and everything like that. Um, react, to, uh, react to the cartoon like that. All right, so we'll move it over to Todd and the continuity errors found in Vader Annual Volume 2. So in this issue, it focuses on Darth Vader investigating or helping out with the Death Star project. And it's a good issue. I liked it except for the ending, which featured a scene where it's implied, I believe, that Vader sent a messenger or sent something to Lyra while she was out on a planet working, you know, getting the kyber crystals, doing the research, that basically straight up told her about the Death Star, and that that's what, you know, Krennic was actually having Galen work on. And that doesn't line up with what we see in Catalyst at all, especially since I had just finished reading Catalyst before reading this issue, I was like, huh? Because it's not, first off, it's never brought up, it's never mentioned, and it doesn't fit with the natural progression of the story at all. Definitely a jarring issue that the Star Group said they'd be trying to avoid going forward, it's interesting I say that that's starting to, that manifesto is starting to weaken a little bit. Yeah, 
it really bugs me because I'm a big fan of the old canon and Disney had to sell me on the idea of rebooting the canon and one of the big selling points was <laughs> no I know I can already I can already tell you guys are a little oh no he's going on a rant I'll try and restrain myself as best I can um, one of the selling points was don't worry you're not going to have the big disastrous mess that was the old canon of you know authors not talking to each other characters not acting like each other in the uh in the various forms that they're in vader comic versus movie vader etc yeah, exactly and i was like okay okay you'll keep a tighter rein on things you know you'll have fewer books coming out certainly fewer games coming out and uh so you'll have less story to wrangle with and uh that seems to have been shot in the leg fairly early on we're what four years into disney's tenure as as keepers of star wars and already we've got some canon issues Mm-hmm. And um, let me ask you this: uh, Is anyone here a fan of the aftermath books that Chuck Wendig wrote? I haven't read them personally. I mean, I have my gripes with the first with the first one, and I really don't like the writing style. So, eh. hmm. I agree. The with story you, was there, but I didn't like the way he like actually wrote the book. If that makes sense. I I completely agree. I I'm very much not a fan of those books. I think the third one was okay. There are a couple standout moments like Sinjir Velas, the uh, the gay ex-imperial intelligence officer. But overall, yeah, I, I feel they're some of the weakest books in the entire new canon. And I and for him to then kind of casually, you know, stomp all over this story of Catalyst, which is one of my favorite books in the new canon, really rubbed me the wrong way. But what made it worse is his reaction to it all, you know, how he responded to the fans when the fans called him out on his nonsense. Um, well, I thought it was interesting that this happened because I remember when we were talking about the interviews with the Dr. Afra comic creators and writers, they were talking about how strict the story group is about canon and where they're allowed to go and what they're allowed to include. So I thought this was interesting that it even happened. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about how this continuation error affects the rest of canon and the implications. So let's have this conversation, you know what I mean? Yeah, and what really bugs me here is that the Vader comics have already had a big issue with canon in issue 13, where they have like the wrong dates, characters showing up that have already died, uh, ships showing up that won't be in production for years. You know, and like that was a, I saw a lot of things about that online, and you'd think that they'd have a tighter leash, especially since it's the same comic, and you know the same things happening. I was just gonna say, Lai, you raised an interesting, you know, a very good point about the story group and how they were keeping a tighter grip on it because I was following the Battlefront Two, uh, the EA Battlefront Two debacle quite closely because I enjoyed the game. How dare I? I know as the hate mail comes in, um, and. One of the things they mentioned was uh, that you EA fan. I know my my EA my EA check <laughs> is probably in the mail. I should go get it right now uh, for shilling so hard for them. Um, but uh, I was reading one of their announcements was, "Hey, we're trying to get more skins in the game. We're trying to get more content in the game. But everything we do, every level, every vehicle, every weapon has to be sent through Lucasfilm. They have to look at it. They have to approve it. They have to send it back to us." It's a multi-week, sometimes month-long process to get anything approved. So for that to be holding up a premier flagship video game title, and then for this comic, probably one of the most popular comics because it's already spawned multiple spin-offs, Dr. Afra and such, for that to slip through, I, I just I, I don't get the inconsistency going on there. 
I agree with everything you guys are saying. I really thought they should have had a hold of this better. Uh, especially now from realizing, Todd, you mentioned that in issue 13 there are people that are alive that are not supposed to be alive, um, ships that are not supposed to be there. Um, that's really messy. And I think they should reconsider their methods to approve, like pre-approving things or like having um, a check and balance system when it comes to comics especially because that's the one constant new content we are getting so we want to know uh that everything is correct and that you know when we're talking about this amongst ourselves like oh this is canon this is not canon like things like that they got rid of old canon for a reason and to start up this new canon and now it's kind of just everywhere mm-hmm. yeah and like Vinny said that they're holding up such a high standard for battlefront 2 like, you know, approving everything, and yet for what's basically their flagship comic book, they've let a huge continuity error happen again. It just seems like they need to get a better hold on things. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, I would think that if you're working on something as big as a Vader comic, you would definitely immerse yourself, as an author, right, or as a writer, you would definitely want to immerse yourself in the in the material surrounding that timeline, especially something as big as Galen's involvement and Lyra's involvement in this project and also, you know, the Death Star itself. So I don't know. It, it just kind of baffles me that an author wouldn't do their homework, <laughs> especially since there's a whole freaking book on this, you know? Yeah, and what really irks me is that the way he had actually had Lyra and Jin like, on the planet makes it seem like he just read the Wikipedia article of the book and he's like, oh, they're here, I'll just... I'll just put them in here and have this happen instead of like actually reading it. And right. that's really getting to me. This feels kind of lazy in a way to try and shove in a reference in there. Yeah. I think, I think my bigger problem with the whole thing is his response. Like this sort of thing can be fixed. They can go and they can release a little note to the fans and just go like, Hey, this person was miscommunicated. This person got convenient amnesia. There's a million ways to fix this, but his response to the fans, when the fans all went on his Twitter and go, yo, you're messing with the canon, man. And his comment is, people take canon too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, he's condescending to the fans going, no, it's not me. It's not my glossing over and not really paying attention to this thing you care about. It's your problem for caring too much, is how his response came off. And that, I think, really made all this much worse. Yeah, and from what I've read or what I've seen, he hasn't had that great of a presence online either with previous interactions with fans about the Aftermath books. And like when people criticize him, he brings up the having a gay characters in there and trying to do that. Lucasfilm needs to get their PR guys to have a talk with him. Yeah, that was one of my notes. Uh, needs PR training. I-, I think he can definitely, of course, be defensive as a creator for the Star Wars universe and you can of course you know justifiably so say hey you know this and that but I think something as blatant as it people take canon too seriously is a little too much you know what I mean (laughs) yeah so Thrawn Alliances the much anticipated sequel to Timothy Zahn's glorious return to the canon with uh with Thrawn came out and it's got hot young Thrawn and and Clone Wars Anakin space adventures and adventures of Padme and later Thrawn with Vader and mid-Rebels and it's out and what did you guys think of it? Lai, what, what, what did you think of it first off? 
I loved it a lot more than the first Thrawn book. Um, this one had so much more personality to me than uh, the first Thrawn. And, you know, I'm a Anakin Vader, like, fangirl. So, obviously, I freaking loved, like, him, them going back and forth to Vader and Anakin. And I love that it was, like, the TCW version of Anakin because he's charming, he's charismatic, and, and uh, you know, young Vader is very, you know, is like a petulant child that always wants his way but can't because the Emperor gave as much power to Thrawn as he gave to Vader. So that's what I really loved about it. So in terms of the, the book, I finished it pretty quickly. Um, I enjoyed it. And I thought the little tidbit at the end of like this, you know, little spoilery thing that happened was really nice. Um, I was expecting more, but I don't know what more I could have gotten out of it, if that makes sense. There was a lot of cute moments with um, Anakin and Padme and Thrawn, like that whole interaction was just amazing. Um, and Thrawn kind of taking a liking to Padme just uh, realizing how brilliant she is and like why Anakin is so into her and all the interactions with Thrawn and Vader later on uh, how they're so kind of hostile to each other but also buddy buddy it's like really weird yeah like you guys have brought up one of the highlights of the book was the Thrawn Anakin Padme and the Thrawn Vader interactions seeing those personalities go off each other certainly great my general thoughts I really like this book I like the first Thrawn book but I feel like this one was more engaging like, had more going on. Not that seeing Thrones rise up, the Empire was not that interesting, but the B-plot in this one, with the whole Anakin, Thrawn, Padme thing, was certainly a lot more interesting than the Price subplot of the first book. Especially, Thrawn himself feels a lot more in character than he did in Rebels to me. And especially in the last scenes of the book with the battle scene, that felt like it could have been directly from the Thrawn trilogy to me. Just the way Zahn wrote it reminded me heavily of it. I don't know if that's just me, but it felt a lot like Thrawn Thrawn, certainly more than anything I've seen so far in the new canon. Uh, for me, I, I'm just not to reiterate what you guys have said so far, but I, I agree that it's a much stronger story than the first Thrawn book. I feel like the first Thrawn book was just to reintroduce him to people who weren't familiar with him, and I don't feel like much happened in the first Thrawn book other than, hey, here is Thrawn, he's a cool guy, look at all the cool things he's doing, boy, he sure is cool, isn't he? That's all I got out of the first book. Um, it, it was it was almost masturbatory over how cool Thrawn is. And this seems to have real character progression to it. One of my things is that it did for me, and, and this is almost tangential, but it sold Clone Wars Anakin and Padme to me. Because when I was looking at the, Admi the Anakin and the Padme parts, and in my head I'm trying to picture... Uh, Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman in those parts and reading those lines and I'm not seeing it or hearing it at all and then I try and put uh, Clone Wars, you know, Matt Lauer um, uh, Anakin and Padme there and it fit perfectly and it, it, it kind of drove home to me the difference between those two groups of characters and how everyone's minds, everyone's grasp of, of who Anakin and who Padme are is now significantly shifting towards their Clone Wars versions versus their prequel versions yeah, I definitely went through the same thing when I first started reading the book and those passages. It was just a lot easier to hear, you know, the Clone Wars characters and their voices, since that really is, like, my version of the character, since Clone Wars is what I grew up with even more so mm -hmm. than the prequels. 
well, plus, you know, there's so much more, um, of course, the, the Clone Wars show is a lot longer than all the films, so, yeah, you know, seeing all the in-between is mm-hmm. awesome. I really do feel like they're becoming the definitive versions of the characters, especially with the fan base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I took a couple screenshots throughout reading the book, and I love how Anakin is so possessive of Padme to the point where it's really scary. There's this one part, uh, in the book where he, f- uh, finds out that she has been, like, kidnapped, or not kidnapped, but, like, she's missing at one point, and it says, if Padme was here, if they'd hurt her, her attackers would need to suffer a little before they died. And I'm just like, whoa there, boy. You're getting kind of scary here. <laughs> yeah, it's very possessive of him. A little of uh, kind of what we see, you know, during Clone Wars and like the Clovis part. It just reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a little drinking game I like to play in my head whenever I'm watching Clone Wars where uh, I count the times that it's he gives off a red flag of he might be kind of edging towards the dark side. Someone probably should have picked up on this by now, I would think. And there were se- like exactly like that. There were several of those moments in in uh, Thrawn alliances where it's just like, hmm, yeah, this is weird that he somehow turned to the dark side. Who could have possibly seen that coming? <laughs> All these masters on the Jedi Council, but no one could detect it. It's 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 so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, it's not funny, obviously. But it's a little funny. Gen- Jedi genocide. <laughs> also, another another right. quote that I liked. A remarkable person, Thrawn said. An equally remarkable association you have with her is what Thrawn is uh, talking to Anakin yeah, about Padme. The way Th- Thrawn like, just casually mentions, like, yeah. he knows, he like, can tell their relationship. Yeah, he, yeah. he can tell it's And even very like, observant. later in the book, <laughs> he's just casually dropping things to Vader. He's like, oh, you know, the last time we were on this planet together, and he's like, I've never visited this planet. Shut up, Thrawn. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Todd, you mentioned earlier how, especially in the last battle, Thrawn, this younger Thrawn, is starting to feel more like the older, wiser Thrawn that we had in the old canon. And I I definitely agree with you. And this, especially when his competency starts to shine there in the book, he kind of starts to separate himself from Clone Wars, or not Clone Wars, Rebels Thrawn, who seems to not Mm -hmm. be quite as competent or at least not have his plans fall into place as much as we're told to believe they should like there's i'm starting to see more of a contrast between him and his rebels portrayal where i i know the good guys have to win but man do they have to win so much against thrawn yeah and one of the things that really felt off about in the rebels finale was when thrawn started like bombarding the lethal which is something that i don't think he would do based off of the books that we've had so far Mm. especially in the first book like he was really against the whole civilian casualties thing so that was really really out of character even especially with you know all those defeats and everything it's kind of weird seeing that i was just going to say in conclusion to your point it seems like zahn has you know obviously as the one who made thrawn he has a much better grasp on thrawn and feloni you know is just not disrespecting the character but yeah. doesn't have as good a grasp on thrawn and is more just using him as a slightly more interesting figure or toy to play with in his set piece yeah, pretty Some much. Some of my favorite parts were um, the three brothers. Was it three brothers? I think it was the three brothers that were helping Padme. 
I thought that was interesting because we can see Padme's sort of espionage side to her because, you know, she had to, like, hide and she even came up with a plan of, like, memorizing all the security points and all the droids that were like uh, surveying the hallways and it was cool to like hear Padme like talk about that stuff mm-hmm. you know because obviously in the films and um especially the show she's more you know of course on the more political side we don't really get to see her in action that much and it was it was cool seeing this like oh sh- you know like oh crap like Padme can like come up with a an escape plan and you know the fact that she was like super fearless about it and was like I don't care get me those clothes and tell me you know tell me all the checkpoints tell me this and that and I'll memorize this and I'm gonna like go for it you know what I mean I'm gonna take this factory down so um I thought that was cool and then just my last favorite part was I don't know how to say this Mok Mok Mokvidge, that factory reminded me of the droid factory that Anakin, Luminara, Ahsoka, and Barras attacked in season two, episode six, because the droid, the droid commander there said, you know, um, the super tanks aren't ready, but when they are, uh, they'll have no weapon that can penetrate its heavy armor, and in this droid factory, there's this, like, super strong material that they're creating, and I thought that was a cool parallel to the the Clone Wars, you know. I, I definitely noticed that, so I thought that was cool. And that's an excellent point, because that's another piece of old canon that they're using Thrawn as a pivot point to bring into new canon, which is the cortosis, you know, a material that can stand up to blasters and, more importantly, lightsabers. Um, in the old, in the old canon and, and especially Tor and stuff, there was stuff everywhere that could counter lightsabers. There were vibro swords, vibro blades, cortosis, all sorts of stuff that could counter lightsabers. And obviously that would be a bit broken to have it everywhere, uh, in the current canon when they're trying to tone that stuff down. But, you know, to acknowledge its existence was very, very cool. Oh yeah. I was gonna reply to what why was going on saying the whole there's kind of, it's kind of like a running thing in the Clone Wars for like the Separatists to have like a secret weapon or like a secret factory developing this sort of thing with like the malevolence, the the droid factory that they went to with the super tanks, this Kartosis armor. And, you know, again, it, it was definitely a part that helped the feel of Clone Wars come out to me in addition with having the characters more relevant to their portrayals there. Okay. Um, well, one other thing, one other topic I found very interesting that I want to hear you guys' opinion on is there's a report that came out that apparently uh, Zahn originally wanted to use Ahsoka instead of Padme in that role to serve that purpose in the B story. And I look at certain parts and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that would have changed the story for me and, and how it would have changed how he approached the characters and how they approached each other. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that would have been interesting to see how Ahsoka fits into here. Because Lai brought up earlier, or was it with you, Vinny, that we can see Anakin like more dark side tendencies here and I feel like that really stepped up when Ahsoka left that was a huge tipping point for him so I don't know if we'd get as much or if he'd be more tempered Anakin with her around I think it could have changed his characterization a bit also trying to figure out how she'd fit in there if she'd be with Padme or if she'd be with Anakin or if she'd take the place of Padme I don't know how the development process worked there or how she'd fit in but it's definitely interesting to think about and look at 
I could definitely see um, the switch of Padme and Ahsoka um, just by how possessive Anakin was about finding her. I can, like, we've seen multiple times in Clone Wars that Anakin is, like, really, really possessive of Ahsoka, but more so, like, trying to protect her. Yeah. And a good, a good episode about that is when she got lost on that planet uh, and sh- and it was like uh, like Hunger Games sort of thing, and she found those other Jedi. Like Anakin was like going crazy trying to figure out where she went and like what happened to her. So reading this and then inserting Ahsoka into that, I can see how it would change some things, but how it would also work really well. And also in the beginning of the book, he meant he mentions that he misses her. So yeah. you know, having the timeline, I think would have changed. It would have right because. The Padme thing happened after Ahsoka mm-hmm. left, correct? Yeah, the Padme parts so. of the book and everything happens much after Ahsoka left. So mm-hmm. there's gonna be a different time in Anakin's life, I think. Yeah, it would. I agree with all with everything you guys are saying, and I I could totally see Ahsoka, you know, doing all of this like sneaking around and eventually getting to Anakin when she realizes that he's there and breaking him out or trying to but obviously it would change the romantic aspect and and of course turn back into the master pad one thing but I don't know yeah. I, I thought it was I would have loved to see Ahsoka be in this book but I don't know how they would transition Padme's handmaiden like you know because she was the one that 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 uh gave had me the information right that something was going on yeah i feel like if anything changed it would definitely be that part of the mm-hmm. book yeah and sort of padme's uh motivation to uh like go there but also i thought it was cool that i thought it was cool that they showed padme pay respect to her friend or her handmaid with that with that uh mourning pone pone no song the song right yeah um i thought that was cool and that that padme sort you know was in this gritty bar like all by herself and like you know going on this mission i don't know i i i uh i liked i mean of course i, I liked padme in this too yeah that's a really good moment between her and her former handmaidens and we are getting the Padme novel coming out soon, so I think we're mm-hmm. going to see more of her relationships with them. If not, you know, she specifically showing up in that book as well. There was one other thing, and this was very weird to me because it was very meta. The planet that a good portion of the story takes place on, most like the first third to first half of the book takes place on, is Batu, And we know now that that's the in-universe location of their new Star Wars theme park. And I kept trying to get that idea out of my head, like stop thinking, stop trying to picture yourself going to this theme park. But I know Disney did that on purpose. They said, hey, use Batu." because this is kind of this meta-advertising thing they've got going for the theme park they're building. And that, it didn't really ruin the experience for me, but it definitely tainted it. Because I kept looking for things in the writing to sell me on the idea of, oh, okay, so this is going to be a theme park. This is going to be a physical location. This is going to be merchandise. And it, it, it almost tainted the reading, uh, the enjoyment of it, knowing that that was some sort of meta advertising that Disney was doing for their new theme park. Did, did anyone else get that? I managed to forget that for a great portion of reading this book, but like you said, there's things that pop out, you know, like basically your general Star Wars planet, you got a cantina, you got a, you know, these buildings, aliens, the whole atmosphere. And I don't know, Vinny, if you brought this up, but someone in the Star Wars Speculation Discord did. But there's a scene in the book where Ron and Anakin are like 
searching around trying to find parking and trying to find a way to like get onto the planet. Yes. I was on putting out a meta joke there or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. And I, I do feel like that was a meta joke. I, 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 almost like a, a too self-aware for its own good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that the planet is the planet that galaxy's edge is based on it, it didn't really bother me. I thought if anything was cool, but then again, I mean, the mouse owns my life. So again, <laughs> I don't have to say that, but I, I was very interested in learning more about the planet because therefore I have things to look forward to when I actually go into the land and look at how they make the environment more interactive. But from, again, from what I'm seeing being built to what I saw and visualized in the book, it doesn't really look like it. So that's kind of sad. But again, that was a different part of the planet that they went to than what is going to be made in Galaxy's Edge. It was also, this. I give credit to Nian. He's the one that pointed out to me that Black Spire was already mentioned in the Solo movie when L3 and Lando were talking to each other and she said that he couldn't even get to Black Spire without her. So, I, you know, Disney's definitely trying to insert, you know, Batu up in there, but... I don't know if I was talking to you guys or if it was my older brother, who's such a nerd also. Hi, Queer Earl. I think they're going to be having, like, people fighting in the street, if I'm not mistaken. Or having, like, these little, not battles, but, like, these these little blaster lightsaber fights. I don't know if that's misinformation. I don't know who the heck I was talking to about that, but I just remember someone telling me that. So what I'm going to assume they're going to do is have the mini like Phasma March that we currently have in Tomorrowland and in Hollywood Studios, as well as maybe have another show to replace Trials of the Temple, which is a Star Wars show currently showing at uh, Tomorrowland. So I, I can totally see them having like a new story element uh, where kids can come and interact, maybe use like a blaster instead of a lightsaber now. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but I did also hear about, you know, the new lightsaber technology that they're going to be using when this land opens. So Okay, well, and that would be pretty sweet. Are we going to address the big spoiler old canon elephant in the room with the Grisks here? Or do we want to leave that as a tease for our upcoming book club? No, we can talk about that. I think we should talk about the new information, you know, because... Uh the the speculation subreddit is hot about it so we should okay well i've i've got my love of the vong everyone knows i'm a i'm a big post rotj old canon fan so do you want me to save that for last or should i go ahead and take a swing just do it all right the grisks are totally vong they're absolutely <laughs> the Uzon vong, and i couldn't be i, I couldn't vong. be happier new canon vong i couldn't be happier now for those not familiar with the vong uh they come from the old canon and what was going on before they showed up was fall fairly safe. Leia, Han, Luke, the crew would show up. They'd go on an adventure and they'd all be nice and safe tucked into bed in time for dinner. Everything would be fine. There was no element of danger. The Vong were introduced. They were very alien in a universe of aliens. They came from outside the galaxy. All of their technology was organic. It was grown. And most importantly, they were immune to the Force. They existed entirely outside the Force. And this made them able to 1v1 a Jedi fairly easily. And they really were a massive threat all across the universe. The book series that they were a part of was contributed by like 20 plus authors. And it affected every character in the galaxy. And it added a real sense of danger 
Now, obviously, because they messed with the nature of the Force and they killed off a number of important characters like Chewbacca, they were a controversial element to the story. But I liked them and I liked their rival because uh, they really spiced things up. And reading about the Grisks in Thrawn, it seems pretty obvious to me that they are the Vong, but toned down. Because obviously they can be affected by the Force because there's that moment when Vader's walking down the hallway, Rogue One style, just chucking them against walls. So obviously the Force affects them, but they uh, one of the key things about the Vong was because they didn't have the Force, they would capture Jedi and dissect them and torture them and shake the Force out of them. How does the Force work? Tell us how this, what is this magic? And uh, that's what they're doing in this book, is they're kidnapping Jedi children to use them and torture them and, among other things, use them to navigate through uncharted territory in space. And so it feels like they are the Vong, but toned down so that they don't dominate the story. Uh, like the old canon Yuzon Vong did. Um, now, Lai, you said you haven't read the Thrawn trilogy yet, and so as someone who's not familiar with the Yuzon Vong and their effect on the old canon, what, what was your take on them? You know, I thought they were a cool new side to this war, especially because they studied Imperial ships, Imperial tactics, and armory. So I thought that was pretty cool that, uh, you know, could kind of shook up Vader and Thrawn that someone outside of this war is studying them. And I thought that because they were, I wouldn't say they were competent, but, they, you know, they were prepared. They were prepared to transport these Chiss children. They were prepared to attack the Chimera and Thrawn's people and Vader's people. So I thought it was pretty cool that Vader and, and Thrawn's forces weren't so OP. You know what I mean? And that the Gris, you know, they put up a fight. They put up a fight and in the end, you know, spoiler, they, they got away. But I like them honestly, and I think they totally change the new canon and what we are going to expect story-wise from here on out. Yeah, I, I do like the idea of them. I completely agree that that, that kind of objective-removed perspective of studying the Empire, kind of giving us a, a look of the galaxy from someone who's not deep in the trenches in the middle of it was definitely refreshing. Um, Todd, did you have any thoughts on you know, where they might be able to go with them or what implications they might have? Yeah, uh, like you said, the comparisons with the Vong is what first comes to mind. Yeah, they do feel like toned down. They're not from another galaxy. They're from the Unknown Regions. They lose the Force immunity, I think, type, type thing. But looking like they might serve a similar purpose if they do go forward with them invading the galaxy or at least having a large-scale war in the Unknown Regions, which, like we said... Before on the podcast, or at least I think I have, there's a lot going on in the unknown regions that they've been hinting at and setting up for some material to cover, and this just keeps on adding to that, building up the unknown regions with the Chists, and now these new players in the game. Yeah, no, I'm not sure if uh, they're going to be incorporating them into the future media. It'd be nice uh, to see them, but I, I feel like anywhere they show up, if they're even remotely as powerful as the Vong were, they would just dominate. But... Maybe they could find a balance. Liz, do you see them going anywhere with them? Or did you have any ideas about them? I'm hoping that they incorporate them into movies so we can see them interact with some new characters. So if they do decide to make them as 
or like a little less powerful than in the old canon books we can actually see some action with them i think that would be very interesting but no i i loved the new take on the vong in this book yeah it was pretty interesting to see what what they were doing to the children and it was just like so intense and i was like for a book like this is getting pretty good it's getting spicy up in here like these new alien species i love it yeah, I agree. And and one of the things that books sometimes have a problem with is that they played a little too safe where they, they don't want to get too close to the affecting the universe at large. They want to be self-contained so that they're not at danger of stepping on the toes of other of other mediums, of other people's books and other people's comics. But them introducing the Grisks is clearly him going, look, I'm introducing this element to the universe and it is going to affect everyone else. I don't I like that he didn't mind stepping in like that. Yeah, I think it was like the the newest information we got, you know, in this new canon that hasn't already been touched on. So, I don't know, it, it's it's such a cool it was such a cool like twist at the end of this book. And it I feel like it gave the book so much more value because it, you know, it sparked a lot of imagination going forward. Yeah, absolutely. As the name implies, unknown regions. You never know what they could pull out of there. And, and it's left purposely ambiguous for their own writing's sake. They've given themselves this big opening from which they could draw whatever they want, and it would still be more or less believable or at least acceptable. So yeah, I'm really looking forward uh, to what they have to bring to the table with the Grisk slash Vong and uh, what they could do to the galaxy at large, especially after the Skywalker saga is over. Yeah, now Todd, you had mentioned in your notes that uh, the, what was that word? It was something about this, the word that became Skywalker that was somehow important to Thrawn. The name of the, the what they call the Chiss Force Sensitive, usually apparently young girls that do the navigation for them. They call them the Skywalkers, or I believe it translates in basic to Skywalkers. I, I'm looking at the original word like now, a, and I will give you 20 bucks if you can pronounce it in a believable way, like their 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 word for it. It looks like auxiliary assembly. I think that's uh, correct. Is it? <laughs> Someone pull up the audiobook. For 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 those yeah for those who don't have for the, for those who aren't hardcore Star Wars nerds like ourselves, uh, the word it's O X Y L Y E S E H E M B O. So yeah, that might be the best crack we can take at it. But like yeah. you said, it's, it's, I mean, are there implications there, greater implications to the universe or to the Chiss at least? I think it was interesting to see that we have like um, force sensitives being, you know, put to uses outside of the Jedi. You know, outside the Jedi and the Sith, they're like doing their own thing. And also interesting to see how it affects the different species because they only re regain their abilities for a short time as children. And the only real thing they can do is have the foresight they call it the second sight second vision something like that yeah i think it was second sight yeah, yeah yeah the seeing things before they happen type deal that you know like uh anakin could do like reflexes yeah like yeah the reflexes and uh that was really interesting and again we have the possible origins of the word skywalker or anakin's last name so is she me a chist she she is a chiss confirmed. Can <laughs> someone get Pablo on the horn? That's it. Yeah, a hundred percent confirmed. It's confirmed. Oh it does. my god! So much sense. Was it, it makes too much sense. sense. Yeah, it so makes handsome. too much sense. Thrawn is his father. Hundred percent confirmed. Chiss, <laughs> oh chiss me confirmed for Smash. You know, I 
I love that Thrawn revealed that to Vader, especially that like when Thrawn was saying that when he met Anakin, that like he was taken aback because Skywalker meant something to the Chiss. And so um, it's just so funny how much like Vader denies that he's Anakin, yeah. but yet like every like every other moment Thrawn's like, dog, I know it's you. Like, it's <laughs> fine. Like, we've been through this. But um and I like how, um, just sorry, I'm like, I, I just wanted to add this as one of my last favorite things is when um, Thrawn made Vader reflect about trust. And like, it was just so weird, like Vader, like philosophically thinking about like trusting Thrawn and what that meant and like, if he was really worthy of it. And it was just like, you know, that it's it wasn't the murderer Vader. It was like, the person inside Vader, like having a thought about about something, you know, emotional. So that was another favorite moment of mine. Yeah, we got a lot of Vader in here that's a little bit different than what we've gotten before, especially in that aspect. And uh, you brought this up a little bit, but one of the things I saw a lot of people talking about before this uh, book came mm-hmm. out was uh, Thrawn mm-hmm. knowing if Vader was Anakin or figuring that out. And I like the way they handled it, where Thrawn just casually like acts like... Like, I know you're Anakin, all this. And especially at the ending where it was, like, finally confirmed to Thrawn was, like, when Vader was doing his oh, move yes, I love in the, the TIE Defender, which book. was, again, a really fun part I liked about the ending, the fight scene. Yeah, where, yeah, the battle scene was the highlight of the book for me. And where Vader does the thing where he does, like, his spinning maneuver and Thrawn was just, like... Mm-hmm. The, he recognizes, like, you know, that's Anakin's Well, Thrawn, Thrawn is a tactical genius. He knows what a good trick spinning is. You should yeah. try spinning. It's a good trick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, do we do we have any other neat notes or final thoughts on uh, Thrawn? Or... Oh, 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 I have one. Uh, this this one this one time where Th- uh, Vader was thinking about, like, how to kill Thrawn. And, like, they're having this, like, really cute banter back and forth. And Thrawn is like, do you expect me to believe that a tactician of your skill has not thought of a way to kill me? Uh, and it's like another faint smile. I have, in fact, thought of three ways. <laughs> I love <laughs> oh, it. Oh, it's so good. Oh That's gosh. so good. I know. I loved it. Oh, and I loved when uh, when Thrawn and Anakin first meet and Thrawn keeps correcting Anakin <laughs> how to say it correctly. That was yeah. so stupid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of cute moments there. I think one that I really I remember from the Thrawn and Anakin one was where Thrawn was... Uh, it was actually like the fight. And then Thrawn was like, so you are a Jedi then. And Anakin's like, how'd you figure that out? Thrawn said that they have legends of two Force users, like the ah. Sith and the Jedi. That like the Sith are reputed to be legendary warriors and kind of just got like surprised and overrun. And he's like, well, you're certainly not a Sith then. Yeah. Just like... <laughs> low-key burning him so hard yeah i do they do seem to be zahn seems to be kind of comfortable and stretching out finally give thrawn a little bit of a sense of humor like the the trolling him with his name and and constantly poking vader oh you're totally anakin you're not anakin but you're totally anakin just kind of poking him a little bit it's nice to see a little sense of humor uh right here pulled up it says for a long moment they stood together in silence vader thought about his secret about thrawn's loyalty about the Emperor's continued need for him, perhaps the entire Empire's need for him. And Anakin Skywalker is dead, he said. Thrawn lowered his head. I know. It's just so 
Claps. <laughs> with your copyright strike. Um, I just thought that was a, a really nice way. That's literally like the second mm-hmm. page yeah. to the end. Um, I thought it was really nice that he wasn't pushing it anymore. And Thon was just like, okay, like, right. you say so. <laughs> Well, if we uh, if we got nothing else on Thrawn, Liz, I think you have a message for the community. So in the community segment, you can go to Star Wars Speculation subreddit and leave us comments, questions, concerns, uh, and maybe just talk about this episode. Uh, go ahead and find the thread and go ahead and start talking about it. Um, and then we have our most beloved uh, section, the World Between Worlds, and... Today, it is a dogfight between Poe Dameron and Darth Vader. Who would win? <laughs> With Vader? Mm. Vader. This seems mm. unfair. Yeah. Vader. Vader. But I think he po has the Force on his side. Poe is a peak human pilot. The Force tree on his side. The Force tree. Oh, yeah. I think Poe... Has Poe ever spanned? But has he accessed yeah, but does it he know yet? spinning? <laughs> Do he spin? He, oh yeah, he did do a U-turn. I don't try doing a U-turn. A, it's a good turn. A U-turn, a pretty cool U-turn. Yeah, he did a U-turn, but <laughs> is that technically spinning? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, that was that was technically a spin, but on the wrong axis. So he almost. What about Poe versus like almost like Poe versus Jedi Knight Anakin, like R.O.T.S. I think Anakin would yeah. still Anakin beat him. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's the way to look at it: is that Obi Wan Kenobi himself admits that he's a terrible pilot, but with the Force, he is able to be on par with Jango in Episode Two, just mm. with the Force alone. Yeah. Oh, right. So the Force is just this massive cheat code when it comes to flying. I mean, he was still mm-hmm. struggling though, Obi. Yeah, I mean, so. he was struggling, but he, <laughs> not only, I mean, like, he's know, not perfect. Yeah, but he, he outran him. He tricked him into thinking he had beaten him. I mean, he was pretty much, he lasted a while against Jango. It was just and, and his Jedi wits, not his flying. flying. It was his Jedi wits. That must have been it. That must have been it. It's that winning smile. Yeah. But do you think without the Force, Anakin would be as good? Yeah. 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 Just you know, because it, he used to work on like the pod racers and like I'm pretty uh, yeah, sure he yeah. would have like tried to find like some simulators like and just spend mm-hmm. like all his time <laughs> trying to fly. Like Ray. Yeah, like Ray. <laughs> or Han. Yeah, or Han. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've I've always had this obsession with the, the pilots. You know, Rogue Squadron for the longest time was my favorite part of, of Star Wars, the books and the games. And I, I love Wedge and I love Tycho and Corrin and all the great rebel pilots, but man, Poe, especially in the movies, is so absurdly good. He's so absurdly overpowered. I watched an, an analysis of him in The Force Awakens when he's fighting over Takodana, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't waste a single shot. Yes. And not only did he do full transitions on multiple axes, he was doing K turns, he was doing Alderaan rolls, he. He was also picking off ground infantry in key points around the castle. I mean, it's it's absurd what he was able to do compared to what should have been top-tier pilots like Luke and Wedge in the original trilogy. So, I mean, if we're comparing him to other pilots in the series, he's the best without the Force. Uh-huh. But then there's the Force. Force tree. Force tree. Yeah, he definitely might have some... Force ability. Like, I... a little bit of... 100% believe he has force sensitivity. 
That's just mm. he is just so good at everything he does except for his you know his being... parents were pilots, right? Huh? Was his parents pilots or just his dad? I think they were just like fighters, no? Uh his, Empire? Yeah, yeah, no, his Yeah, um his parents were both oh, pilots, okay. or at least his mother was. Nice. Forestry. <laughs> yeah. Um so I guess it's settled. Well, there. I mean, you got to think about it. Uh, Invader Down, the Ball the comic opens with him going one v thirty six. It's like he takes on three entire squadrons of X wings and wide wings yeah. and just smokes <laughs> all of them. Vader Down, yeah. If you ever need to see how OP Vader is, just read Vader Down. Yeah. Well, that if we if that's settled, then Vader would blow Poe out <laughs> of the sky. Then I. I Unless anyone else has any topics they want to throw into the mix uh, before we close well, out. I think they would... Okay, Poe would stand, like, a little bit of a chance. Yeah, definitely. And maybe try to pull some moves on Vader, but then Vader would be like, uh-uh-uh. And then just, like, <laughs> yeah. Do you think Poe would disarm Vader with his, like, <laughs> his jokes? and his Probably. <laughs> hey, you got asthma there? I know. Just talk I don't know. That. You say that, but... Vader's got a little bit of a sense of humor himself. Like when, yeah, when he, he does. Don't mm-hmm. choke on your aspirations. Director. Yes, my <laughs> favorite Vader line ever, <laughs> ever. It is such an Anakin thing to say, and I love yeah. it. It was so good. I I literally screamed when I heard him say <laughs> that because it was so funny. And, I mean, even in the original trilogy, I think it was Piet, and he goes yeah. right after choking him, he goes, "Apology accepted." <laughs> so he's 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 definitely yeah. got that snark. He does. So maybe yeah. maybe instead of a starship battle, we could just have them on mics just snarking yes. off <laughs> each other, <laughs> roasted, yeah, like a, a rap battle or something. Mm. But that's not this yeah, podcast. That's not that's someone else. <laughs> if you liked what you heard, hop a lift down to level thirteen thirteen, the CD underbelly of the internet, known as Reddit, where you can find us at our Star Wars speculation. Be sure to check out our YouTube Castle Fun podcast where you can subscribe to us and click the little bell to be the first to know when new episodes are up. If you enjoyed this episode, you will give it a like. We're also available on SoundCloud, PocketCast, and iTunes as Castle Fun Podcast. If you have any questions for us or topics you'd like to hear us cover, hit us up on Twitter at Castle Fun. See you around, kid. <laughs>